This is Nick Fruin of Tiger Talk, LSU Student Media Run Podcast, talking about the latest and most important news. Um, if you don't know me, I'm currently the summer news editor for the Reveille. Been in a lot of different departments, worked in digital, worked in news, about to work in entertainment next semester. All over the place. All over the place. Um, right now, and for this summer, we're here to talk about the biggest stories at LSU, people interested in LSU should know about. Um, and today we have Reed Darcy here, currently the editor-in-chief for the summer. Next, next semester, going to be the sports editor. Um, and he's going to talk to us today about the biggest story this week, um, what's going on with the t- Title IX lawsuits against the university and some of the aspects over who's going to rule over those cases. How are you doing today, Reed? Thanks, Nick. How are you doing, man? What's up? Uh, doing pretty well. You know, early Monday. It's noon. It's not <laughs> really is, early. This is my <clears throat> this is my second time in the KLSU studio, and I just got to say, you know, it's pretty nice in here i know i'm very jet they have a whole hall it's very it's very decorated it's nice they got nice equipment that the headphones are confusing i'm not gonna lie to you but every other aspect i'm, I'm a big fan of the posters on the wall and the decorations yeah i'm, a, I'm a fan might, it's a really good vibe i have to make a switch don't yeah. tell anybody i might you know might or have to see what we can i'm do. just gonna start coming here and doing all my work i mean y'all got windows y'all got some natural light we don't have any of that we're, we're in a basement we're in a basement and the literally window is looking at a wall Yes, it's 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 and looking into it's, this it's the wall like, window, con- concrete alleyway. That that's our view from the window. That's you know, hey, but you know, yeah. that's, we love it. So we, we do. It's it's homey. It's it's nice and cozy. I wouldn't say homey. It's, a, <laughs> it's like it's like a cold. I don't. It's it's where, it's where the news gets but, done. But we are we are remodeling very soon. So we are we are excited about that. And we're gonna make some pretty good changes to our workplace. And it's gonna like busting down a wall. Wasn't that a pitch oh, idea? Uh, no. See that that was my idea. I wanted to take. See, I, I grew up watching HGTV with my mom, and you know I've always wanted to just take a sledgehammer and knock down a wall. You know, but it just appears. You know, Hodges Hall. We, we start, There's a lot there we, we can start, unpack. Just with that statement. Um, <laughs> we start getting crazy. We might bring down the whole hall, you know, and that that would maybe that good. needs to happen. I don't I think mean, that's in the budget. Or at least, at least, maybe we should renovate some of these KLSU offices. Maybe we may, maybe come to an agreement because I the <laughs> whole wing. I'm not jealous. It's yeah. cool. Um, I, I'm very jealous. All right, you ready to get started? Yeah, we can we, we can start talking about the story. I guess. So, like, explain explain to the listeners what what we're trying to do with this podcast and what what's kind of going on here. Well. To be honest, if you read, some people don't really like reading. That's that's understandable. It's you know, it's so we're here to verbalize the, the work that we work on, so you guys can just listen to it at home. Um, and so all the breaking stories, not not even the breaking stories, and the big the big coverage that you know you, when you get down to the nitty gritty, there's a lot of information. We're gonna try to break it down for you guys, open it up, um, make it easy to understand. So this week we're gonna be talking about, like I said, the two oncoming cases. Um, Bree just wrote a fantastic story on this. It just went out today in our uh, our Monday paper. Um, and so, Bree, if you could break down, let's first talk about these two lawsuits and how and how they they came about against mm-hmm. the university. Yeah. So first, I just want to mention this podcast is um, Laura Nicholson's baby. Um, she she's actually working at the Advocate this summer. We're, we're very proud of her. She's doing really good work. Um, and so we're just keeping it warm for over the summer. We're going to do a few episodes maybe every other week, and it's going to be tied to our front page story every week. Over the summer, we're, we're back to printing. COVID shut, us, shut our printing down last summer, but we're back this summer. We're printing once a week, and so every other week we're going to try to do a little podcast uh, explaining what's going on with our front page story, the most important story of the week. Um, so that's what we're trying to do until, until Laura gets back in the fall. It's really going to become a whole student media type thing. Tiger TV, KLSU, they're going to have to be involved as well. 
Um, and so right now it's just a Revly thing. Kayla, uh, David from KLSU is helping us out uh, behind the scenes producing it. Um, so, so it's just going to be a few episodes over the summer. Um, and then once the fall, it's really going to get going. So subscribe. Subscribe. <laughs> okay. Um, so getting into the story. Um, so like we said, can you, can, can you break down maybe, maybe the lawsuits or how, or how they originated if you want to maybe talk about the, the Hush Blackwell report mm-hmm. for a little bit? Um, yeah. So LSU's, LSU Athletics is getting sued right now. They got two high-profile lawsuits in federal Baton Rouge court right now. Um, LSU gets sued all the time. It's not really a big story when LSU gets sued, but it is a big story when LSU Athletics gets sued. LSU Athletics has been sued in eight years. The last time they were, it was 2013. Tony Minnis, the former head coach of the women's tennis program, sued LSU after he got fired for workplace discrimination on the basis of race for providing inadequate facilities and then retaliating and harassing against him. So that was the last time LSU Athletics got sued. And so this time, after all the hush, after all the USA Today reporting, their, their phenomenal, phenomenal reporting, that's done a lot of... Um, that's brought about a lot, a lot of lasting change around here. After that, two huge lawsuits have been filed. Um, after that, in the Hush Blackwell report, the first one is a fifty million dollar lawsuit brought by Sharon Lewis. If you don't know Sharon Lewis, she is an associate athletic director in the athletic department. She handles a lot of recruiting, and so what she's alleging is that she actually tried to report some of this Title IX malpractice way back when. And for that, she faced retaliation from people in LSU's athletic department uh, for Jawsbury, Les Miles. And so she's alleging um, all sorts of workplace discrimination, retaliation, and harassment uh, for what she describes as a criminal cover-up, right? That's what she's trying to prove in her lawsuit. Uh, the RICO Act, Nick, you, um, you mentioned that it's a RICO case. That's basically... The federal law that's designed to take down organized crime syndicates, you know, like uh, mafia type style, but <laughs> that's so, not. So, yeah. it, so it is, is Lewis alleging that the university is a criminal organization, or maybe athletics departments? Or? Yes, the board of supervisors is a defendant in the lawsuit, but that's more of a formality, just because she's suing LSU. The main defendants are people in the athletic department. Scott Woodward, the current AD, is a defendant, as well as Virg Osbury who's the executive deputy AD. And um, so specifically, what was the allegation she had against, I, I was former head coach Les Miles, right? What, what were some of the things that, that were said? Yeah, if, if I'm remembering correctly, it was a little more direct with um, Les Miles. Les Miles um, harassed her, um, retaliated against her for trying to report some of his misconduct um, some, some of his misconduct specifically um, and how he was dealing with student student interns in the athletic department. If, if you don't know that story, you can read um, USA Today for that. So what she's alleging is that she tried to report all this and tried to cry afoul of LSU's Title IX practices in the athletic department. And for that, she faced all sorts of harassment, discrimination. I'm, an, I'm directly reading from a, a story mm-hmm. done by the Revely. It said that Miles told her she was hiring too many fat girls, black girls, and ugly girls, and pressured her to start hiring women he saw as more attractive, or even allow him to be directly involved in, in, in the hiring process. So I, I, that's that's where this is all stemming from yes. is um, his, his 
the the reports against him and she tried to report them and, I, and she felt like she was being retaliated against so that that's the first lawsuit which you said is 50 million dollars mm-hmm. against against the university mm-hmm. um and that's that's only one of the two so what's what's the second lawsuit second one's a class action it was brought by former student athletes student workers in the athletic department and a couple other lsu students it started with seven plaintiffs in the class action suit and um they're al- alleging a whole um uh, whole wide uh, <laughs> they're alleging a lot of stuff and if you've read USAJ the past few months um you'll you'll know that um it's pretty much this is this is where all this reporting came from these seven women are the key players in all this um they're they've told the story of how when they tried to report through LSU sexual assault domestic violence rape that LSU completely mishandled their their complaints and in some cases tried to cover them up and, and so this class action stems from that and right now what they're trying to do is of course trying to finalize the class trying their the, the lawyers are trying to get it approved and they're giving the time for the defendants to retain retain counsel and so that's going to take a while for the before this lawsuit gets going um, and so that leads us into our story for today it's, it's about why the judges, why some of the judges recused themselves from presiding over the lawsuit. Um, and I feel like some good background info for people that aren't aware. Um, in, in November, a, a report was released by AP, um, no, sorry, not AP, USA Today, accusing LSU of widespread mishandling of all sexual assault cases. Um, and this led to the Hush Blackwell report being released. Hush Blackwell report is very damning. It's brought a lot of change mm-hmm. to, the, to the university. Um, there's, we have seen a number of student protests. We've seen a number of actions taken by faculty members, students, uh, a lot of members of the LSU community outraged at how LSU has handled sexual uh, Title IX uh, reporting and how it has mishandled this. It um, changed LSU's Title IX department forever. Um, USA Today's reporting, um, Kenny Jacoby, he's done an outstanding job in making our school a much better place going forward and his reporting, his diligent work you know we're student journalists so we know kind of how that stuff is made we're just in awe of, of his work um so and we want to thank him for that he, he's done a really great job um and he's brought about a lot of lasting change at this school and so um that's that's been the main story of this school year it's been what, what we've focused a lot of our coverage on a lot of our attention on and we've we've learned a lot of lessons from their reporting um, it's taught us a lot not only journalistically just about the world around us and about Title IX issues and sexual assault issues and just how pervasive they are on campus. And um, one thing we've learned is that the majority of these sexual assault, domestic violence cases go unreported, right? They, They never get reported, whether it be to police or to anyone in a position of power to do something about it. And the cases that LSU did receive, um, they still screwed up and maybe, you know, they didn't screw up, but they intentionally covered some of these up. And so that's that's the main thing um, that USA Today exposed, and that's changing a lot of how we do things around campus. And so do you believe this is this has, you said it's brought change to the campus or, how, or it's brought attention to it. Do you believe it's actually brought change to how we, how Title IX cases are actually handled, or do you think like maybe this is just a front being put up by the university? I think so. I think it's. I think what they're doing with the Title IX Civil Rights and Title IX office before it was incredibly understaffed. Mm-hmm. There was only about two people working in the whole office. Um, that, if you read Hush Blackall, that's probably by design to keep um, some of these cases under wraps just to protect the university's brand. 
Um, but now they're starting to beef up that department and they're taking steps um, to staff it appropriately and, and staff it staff it well. We've met with Jane Cassidy, the interim uh, director of the department, and we met with Daniel Swinton, the interim Title IX coordinator, and both of them are uh, they're good leaders. Uh, we took away from their conversation that um, they are in a good position to lead this school forward and that they have real good intentions here. And so I think we can trust them to do the right job here. And and that again, kind of leads to the issue is a lot of these issues or problems um, occurred in the past with, and in, in administration with people that aren't here anymore. Mm-hmm. We, we have seen major administration change in the last couple um, years, especially recently with the, the, the selection as Tate as our newest president. Um, the, mo- the top people are all gone. Mm-hmm. F. King Alexander, former president, is gone. Joe Oliva is gone. Les Miles is gone. But Virgil Osbury and Miriam Seeger are still here. And I think that's a big question that we need to answer. Exactly what kind of role are they going to be playing moving forward? Because if you don't know um, anything about Virgil Osbury, he received an admission from a former LSU wide receiver, Drake Davis. He received a confession, confession from him saying that he was uh, he had punched a tennis player, Jade Lewis, in the stomach. He received that confession, and he didn't do anything about that. And for months, Jade Lewis went to, um, she continued on to receive all sorts of abuse, strangulations, beatings from from Drake Davis. And so he, he was in a position to do something about it. He didn't do anything about it. He sat on the confession for months. And so he received only a 30-day suspension without pay and some um, some lessons on uh, Title IX and sexual assault. A lot of students weren't satisfied with that. And so I think going forward, we need to examine his role in all this and what he's been doing to educate himself and reform himself because he's still in a position where he has a lot of power. Specifically, it was the student group Tigers and Sexual Assault who yes. led the protest at the uh, football center. Um, mm-hmm. uh, it was it was in the days after. Yeah, you were there, right? I, I was there covering it. It was um, it, w- it was an eventful day. Um, it, uh, specifically, Angelina Cantelli said, "I want people to be fired. I want people to be punished for the harshest degree for not breaking LSU policy for breaking federal law." Do you think that there can be forward movement, or maybe maybe students? Can, do you think students will actually be able to trust in the university if if they don't feel like people are actually getting punished. Well, LSU, their messaging has been to blame the system that was in place and say that the individuals could not have succeeded because the system was so bad and it was designed to cover up these things and to not handle them appropriately. Um, But some students that I've talked to have disagreed with that and they've said that it's on the individuals to run the system. And as long as the individuals are corrupt, you can have the best system in the world but if the individuals can't run it, then what's the point of the system? And so a lot of the frustration from students is that the punishments that Virg Osbury and Miriam Seeger faced were not harsh enough and that there wasn't any accountability here. And so that's been a disconnect between the active students and administration. And so that little conflict is going to be playing out for a while now. And specifically since we have a new face in this conflict of Tate being our new president. As, 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 William as, Tate. As, yeah, as newly elected president, if, if you were unaware. He um, takes over in July. Takes over in July. Um, he's coming from the University of South Carolina mm-hmm. where he was a provost for a year. Um, Before that, he was at the University of Washington in St. Louis. Um, St. Louis. He, he was 
dean of the grad school, I believe. He was there for about 18 years. And I, and I bring this up because it was specifically asked of him at his uh, interview with the Board of Supervisors about how he would handle Title IX. As we know, it's an ongoing issue. It's a big issue that any any president is going to have to face. Um, and, he, and he said that his approach... It's not very public. He doesn't like to, uh, I, I think his exact words were re-traumatize mm-hmm. the victims. Um, do you think that's going to be an effective leadership role or a leadership strategy when it comes to Title IX? It's tough because I think what we've learned in the past year is that we need a leader. We need some strength from our top administrators. We need um, someone who's going to come out and forcefully say things, you know, and because Tom Galligan's been president. Bless, bless Tom Galligan's heart. You know he's Love a him. lawyer. Yeah, yeah but he, he's a lawyer, so he's got to be careful. He's got to be conservative. And one of the things that students have called for in the last um, few months is that we need some strength. We need um, just some powerful rhetoric from those involved. And we'll see if William Tate can do that. Um, and, and on a side note here, the the what Galligan has been able to do in a year um, with the position that he was put in. Yes. He he came into. COVID, he came in, mm-hmm. in, in the midst of a pandemic. Um, he came when Title IX was just about to hit. And and also... And when the is, USA Today stories. When the, were, yeah, yeah. That, that's when things, I definitely, things probably got stressful for him. Um, but I, I feel like a problem here, especially when it comes to how he can actually lead, is the fact that he was trying to become the president. Like, he, he, mm-hmm. was, he was interested in the permanent spot. And how are you going to be able to effectively lead the university while also vying for that spot it kind of puts you in a, in a right. crossroads of do you actually do what's correct or do you do what's going to get you right uh, re, you know selected to be the next president fortunately or not fortunately but he he recused himself from <laughs> uh from from that um i think citing that he wanted to spend mm-hmm. time with his grandkids which is something that you called yes, days before I it happened i yeah one of our one of our, our news editor Catherine manuel she was um, she was having a, a meeting with Galligan, and uh, <laughs> Galligan showed her her picture of his grandkids, and, th- and then I was like, "All right, he's out. There's yeah. no, <laughs> there's no way he's going to be president." I just, I just knew from that, from that I, moment that I could just tell he wasn't going to be president, or not that I, I think he could would have been a great candidate for president. Yeah. I knew that he probably didn't want it when I saw him get grilled at that Title IX mm-hmm. hearing by the state legislators, yeah. and he was getting just they they were they they were coming at him, yeah. and that, that that's really the problem that I, I'm kind of working back around to is. He he was in administration, or he didn't really have any role in any of these issues. He Correct. just had to take the brunt of it. And he had to be the pinata for all this. Which it feels like is someone's going to have to take it because, you know, the university keeps saying you have to blame the, the system. Right. and But at some point, someone's got to be the head of the system. But Joe Oliva and F. King Alexander were staying quiet through all this, and they were letting Tom Galligan uh, face all the, the fr- frustration from people about this. President Galligan, if you're listening to this, go spend time with your grandkids. You know, enjoy, enjoy what, enjoy that time with them. Don't, you know, you don't need this stressful job as president. So I'm, we're glad you dropped out. Not because we don't want you leading our school. It's just because we want you to, um, you know, be focused on what really matters. Yeah, we don't. And like I said, I, I would want you to be able to lead if you were going to lead in a position where you actually had the power and you weren't at a, at, right. a, at a cross or you know it was. Right. I felt like it was a conflict of interest in, yes. in that regard. Um, but working around to the story, which which where we we are trying to cover here, is the the, the recusals that these judges are giving to not work the uh, two high profile mm-hmm. lawsuits that we've already discussed. Um, and so I think 
it's we've it's gone through three or four. Is it, one of them has gone through three, and the other one has gone through four. Can you kind of break into how that transpired? So there are three federal judges in Baton Rouge. Um, Brian Jackson is one of them. Shelley Dick is another, and John DeGravels Gravelay. I'm not sure how you pronounce that. Um, he, he's the other one, and all three of them recused themselves from presiding over these two high-profile lawsuits against LSU Athletics. Uh, that's very unusual. The people we've talked to have told us that that never happens anywhere across the country. Who, who, who did you speak to? We, we talked to Catherine Redmond. She is a, a Title IX victims advocate. She's done a lot of consulting work um, around, around the country with all sorts of athletic departments and professional sports teams. She follows lawsuits against athletic departments around the country and against professional sports teams and just so she can see any kind of trends or pattern with, with how they choose their consultants and their advisors and their lawyers. Um, so she's been in this work for 20 years, and she's never seen anything like this. And so she was uh, completely shocked that all three of these judges recused themselves from both lawsuits. It was, um, it's pretty shocking. It doesn't happen um, ever, really. And so... Be, be, state law says they're not required to give reasons for why they were accused, so that leaves us only to speculate. And this says, according to state law, judges shall disqualify themselves from presiding over lawsuits when their impartiality might be reasonably questioned. Yes. So, and, and so the, the first three judges you mentioned were all from Baton Rouge federal judges. And mm-hmm. do you think that could be maybe they feel connected to LSU in some way or something like that, or? Could, could that be a possibility of why they don't want to? It could be a possibility. Cases? They could be any kind of connection in any kind of way to the parties involved, financial contributions, prior relationships. It, it could be anything, um, really, and it could could just be all sorts of different reasons for why they accuse themselves. But if you want to, if you want to look into it more, um, I think a good first step is to look at the common parties between both lawsuits. They must, the two lawsuits must have something in common for all three of these judges. Um, to recuse themselves from both lawsuits. And so if you look at the shared parties between the two, obviously LSU, the Board of Supervisors, former President F. King Alexander, former AD Joe Oliva, Verge Osbury, Miriam Seeger, and Sharon Lewis. Those are the common parties. And in the past, Judge Brian Jackson has ruled on cases involving LSU Board of Supervisors, F. King Alexander. Um, that's common. LSU gets sued all the time. So he's ruled on cases involving LSU in the past. And in 2013... He ruled on the Tony Minnis lawsuit that we mentioned before. Um, Joe Oliva and Miriam Seeger were parties. And Shelley Dick, she's ruled on LSU cases before, so that leaves out F. King and, Board of, and the Board of Supervisors. So because of that, the only two parties who haven't been involved in any kind of federal middle district lawsuit before are Burge Osbury and Sharon Lewis. And so if, if you can connect the dots that way, again, it could be all sorts of reasons. Um, there could be issues with one plaintiff or one party in the first lawsuit and then a different party in the second lawsuit. It could be anything, but if you're going process of elimination here, that leaves Verge, Osbury, and Sharon Lewis as the two parties who haven't faced any kind of federal litigation before. And so this the $15 million lawsuit, um, right now it's being presided over by a New Orleans federal judge, Susie Morgan, right, mm-hmm. who recused herself from the second lawsuit. The class action. The yeah. class action, which we, we don't know for certain, but it could be connected that because Sharon Lewis is the defendant in the class action, mm-hmm. then it would create a conflict of Correct. interest or something yeah. along those she, lines. She took one of the cases and passed the other one on to an, a different judge, Wendy Vitter, Wendy out of New Orleans. Wendy Vitter out of New Orleans. And... and 
Um, and so, and, and so, I think action being taken right now on either of these cases. Do you know any, anything that's ongoing? Is there any time? Is there any date set for anything? Well, Sharon Lewis, that lawsuit is getting underway right now. Um, on May twenty fourth, Judge Morgan gave Sharon Lewis about twenty days to answer a whole list of questions about how she's going to prove the things she's saying in the lawsuit. And so, starting May twenty fourth, she's got twenty days to respond to those questions. And once she does, then the ball's really going to get rolling on the lawsuit. But for the class action. Um, they're still waiting on the judge to approve the class of the class action. The class is the group of plaintiffs, and they're still waiting on defense to retain counsel. So these things are going to take a while. And because there's a lot of shared um, or co- common parties between the two lawsuits, then um, they're probably going to delay each other. Just going It's going to take a while, and it's going to be a bit before we get some, some more news out of this. We weren't expecting the news last week. That was big news. Um, but it, it's it's going to be a, a long, slow process as these things usually are. And so, on and maybe on a, on a bigger scale, um, the Hush Blackwell report didn't look at all Title IX reports or Title. It, it looked at a small, not not a small, but it it was, it was a small sample size. Um, so, do you believe, or not believe, is it possible that there could be more cases that we just don't know about yet, or some, some along those lines? Oh yeah, of course. Um, from what we understand. Um, these kinds of cases, sexual assault, domestic violence, um, rape, it's all over campus. Um, it's all over campuses across the country. It's not a strictly LSU problem. Um, it's, it's a huge problem all over the country. And so what we've learned is that only a fraction of these kinds of cases actually come to police, come to administration. And so, you know, you, if you can... If you just see what LSU is aware of, that's only a fraction of what's going on. Um, it's it's a huge issue. It's all over the place. I, I would say now is the time to, not not that there is a time not to fix these things, but this especially a time where we these issues need to be addressed because campus is going to be reopening to some to some degree in the next year. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, in the last year it's been closed. Um, campus is going to be reopening. You're going to have students interacting. It's going to be back to normal. Back hopefully or to. to to some degree of normal. Um, yes. I feel like normal is going to be different than what we we are all expecting. Um, mm-hmm. I feel like things are always going to be a little different, but I feel like now is the time to fix these institutional issues, yes. if, if, if that's what the university is alleging that these yes. are. Um, and, so, and so do you think that maybe when Tate really gets gets started running, you think this is going to be on the forefront of his policies or issues it has that he's going to be. work? You think so? It has to be. Um, this is the main thing that LSU has been reckoning with the past um, school year. And so it, it has to be at the forefront of his mind. It has to be at the forefront of his messaging as he takes office. And he has to take steps to fix this. It has to be his top priority. It just has to be. Um, and if it's not, we're going to make sure that it is. Um, not only us, but the students who've been involved and done great work this past year, they're going to make sure that it is. And so it, he's constantly going to have to answer these kinds of questions questions like is athletics too powerful questions like what are you doing to change the institution um those kinds of questions he's going to have to answer them and it's going to be at the forefront of his mind uh, when he takes office and when he introduces himself to the student body come the fall so do you think that there's you said the powerful of athletics. Do you think there's a disparity in in maybe lawsuits? Like you did say earlier when we first started, that uh, not a lot of lawsuits go against athletics, especially LSU athletics. Do you think there's a disparity because of the of the power between um, 
the athletics departments and, may, and maybe some other departments that are, aren't as well, funded. We have to keep in mind, I don't know if I mentioned earlier, LSU gets sued all the time. Yeah. It's just when you have such a big campus mm-hmm. with tentacles all over the state of Louisiana, you're going to face lawsuits all the time. You know, um, there, there are lawsuits from LSU Shreveport, LSU Alexandria, just um, LSU Veterinary School going on right now, um, LSU Greek Life. And so there's there's just if you think of everyone who's involved in LSU and how many employees there are across the state, then you can imagine there's going to be a few lawsuits. And so I think. When you keep that in perspective, LSU athletics, though it's it's very big and it's huge, but in the grand scheme of things, it's pretty small. So they haven't faced a lawsuit in eight years. Um, that's probably why, you know. And it's also because, you know, big bad LSU football program, it, it kind of runs the state. If someone has a problem, then it's going to take a lot for them to muster up the courage to want to sue LSU athletics. It, it's such an integral part of our state and what, what we represent and what we do here. And so, you know, it, it makes sense that you haven't seen a lot of lawsuits against LSU athletics, um, especially since, you know, what we know has been going on the past eight years um, under Les Miles and Joe Oliva. Um, so, yeah, it makes sense. But, you know. And so to, to, to wrap up here, why should people be interested in this story that you wrote or why, why should it matter to them? Well, I think that's a, that's a good question. I'm glad you asked me that. Um, I think it's important if you're an LSU student, it's important to understand um, just the just the tentacles that LSU has throughout the state and just to understand um, how powerful LSU athletics can be and um, the connections that they have with people who are in real positions of power throughout the state. Um, just understanding the power dynamics in play here because, you know, it, because you might face some sort of um, issue with uh, athletics and there are going to be more cases involving high-profile um, student-athletes. Unfortunately, that's it's, it's going to happen. And so you need to understand what the people in power, you need to understand what, where their allies are. And I think it's, it's just essential for you to understand that as an LSU student, um, just to see what, where the university's priorities lie and... Um, who their allies are across the state. A lot of people are speculating that the recusals have something to do with athletics, like these judges have some sort of connection to LSU athletics. And so I think if you understand that, then you can learn a lot about just how we run things as a state and what goes on behind the scenes. And, and I can personally attest to that because, you know, I'm not from Louisiana. I am just, I've just been here the last couple of years and, and the pride and yeah, um, you only had beignets like a couple weeks ago. Yeah, huh, I had the beignets time. for the first time a couple weeks ago. Yeah. It, was, it was okay. Um, uh, but so the the pride and love people have for LSU is very connected to the state. I feel like if you're in Louisiana, you have some connection to LSU, mm-hmm. especially in the Baton Rouge area. Yeah. And with having this going on, it's it doesn't feel good to be an LSU student at the moment. All right, when, no, when, when, when stuff like this comes up, it makes you kind of feel ashamed to, mm-hmm. to say that this is the university you're going to and this is how they're handling. Yes. Um, and, and I, I, that's that's why I'm trying to say I I think it, it should be a forefront issue that they're trying to handle. I hope that it is actually an issue they're trying to handle. And, and the issue that I've personally come up with, uh, I hope that this is not something that they're just trying to handle on the front end, but mm-hmm. not actually, not not really concerned about the issue. Um, mm-hmm. I treat it like a PR issue. You think? It's which it, it is a PR. It's a huge mm-hmm. PR issue, but it's more than that. It's yeah. it's the PR issue is a punishment from 
mm-hmm. from you not protecting students, which is as a university is what what you're there for, specifically not protecting students from student athletes. Because yes. then you bring it, you talk about the power dynamic, the power dynamic. There. And what's the point of a university? Mm-hmm. It's for education. But yeah. if you're protecting the athletes because they bring the bucks in, what does that really say about your university? Right. Right. And also, if these judges are, this is just speculation, like you said, connected or not connected, but have some connections to athletics and they are not presiding over these cases because of that, what does that really say about yeah. Louisiana as a whole? Yeah. And if I could just tell a quick story yeah. um, real quick, I was covering the Florida game in the, in the championship season. And in the fourth quarter, the media can go onto the field and, and roam around the sidelines. So I was... I was in the back of the south end zone, I think, and Florida was in the red zone, and I just had my back to the fans, um, and just I, I, the place was rocking. It was loud. The noise was deafening, and so if, if I just I turned around over my shoulder, and I just see these middle-aged fans, and I could just see the fire in their eyes as Florida was in the red zone about to score a touchdown just i'll never forget the look in their eyes it was it was crazy man i'll just never forget just looking over my shoulder and just seeing i could i could just see the fire in their eyes and so that that moment for me is when it just hit how much that football team means to the state of louisiana and how much um like how important it is to how we do things in the state that that's just one story that it really hit home for me. And I, and I, I really feel like, and I'm pulling this from a story that just came out recently in our paper um, about our faculty members want to get va- vaccinations because, and LSU, they want LSU to mandate it because LSU kind of leads as an example for the state of Louisiana. And mm-hmm. if if we are allowing these Title these Title Nine mishaps and the, and we are mishandling these things, what? What kind of example does that set for these other schools? Absolutely. We just, we just we, the, that report just came out about the student who went to, I think it was five different schools mm-hmm. and in Louisiana and sexually assaulted mm-hmm. women multiple times. And that could have been prevented if they would actually share the information. And guess where he started? He started at LSU. LSU, LSU sets the tone. It's at the top. It's the flagship school for a reason. So it sets the tune, tone not only for the other public schools around the state, but it sets the tone for um, the state at large. And so you've got... ULL, Louisiana Tech, um, all, this, the Louis, University of Louisiana system, you know, people forget there's a lot, a lot of schools um, in that system. It's not just LSU. And so LSU has a leadership role to play. And that's what, like, I'm glad you mentioned the vaccines. That's what the faculty is trying to get the university to understand. You can, there's a real opportunity here for you to play a leadership role in our state and to get people vaccinated. Because right now we're near the bottom of the country in vaccination rate. Um, so LSU mandating vaccine w- would be a strong statement um, that I think the faculty is really trying to get uh, William Tate to come in and, you know, put his foot down right right out the gate. Um, and so just the faculty is trying to get LSU to understand the position that they're in as far as leadership and the potential they have to make a real difference in the state. I 100% agree. Um, well, Reed, thank you for yeah. coming to talk this to me. it fun. First time on a podcast, huh? First, how, about, how about you? Uh, yep, first time on the podcast, too. I hope it's not noticeable, but <laughs> definitely the first time. Um, this is not our first take, either. This is our second I, take. T- totally our first take. <laughs> Call me first take, Nick. Um, but this has been Nick Bruin of Tiger Talk, LSU Student Media Run Podcast, bringing you the latest and most important news. Yeah, sure. See you all in a couple weeks. <laughs>